0: And welcome to Judge JudgeCast. It's been a while, but now that I'm back from Worlds, this is Sean Catanese, your level two judge from Sacramento, California, transplanted to Berkeley, California.
1: Yes, we all miss you, Sean. This is uh, Jose Boveda, level one Sacramento.
0: Fantastic. Glad to be back in the saddle with you, sir. Or ah, I guess likewise. we're in different horses, but
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: Maybe I should just well, cut that part how to would you
1: insinuate too. that we're riding the same horse? <laughs> I, it's just a bad mental image, man.
0: Okay, moving on. Right along.
1: <laughs> and that would have to be one sturdy horse.
0: It would. It would. We're, neither of us is a small guy. Um,
1: well, by, made by you know, Mazda. Right. Oh, <sighs> you're back from
0: Worlds. Yes. Back from worlds. Japan was amazing. Uh, the snow monkeys were fantastic. Uh, the people were awesome. The food was great. Uh, they have the best prawns I think I've ever had and never will have. Um, some awesome stuff, amazing culture, um, and amazing magic things happened there too. Uh, we had a a ton of great things happen. So, um, new things to tell y'all about. Um, and then also we have our normal sorts of pieces to the show. We have some listener emails, we have a couple of rules questions that have come up. Um and then we also uh want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world of Magic. Um not only what happened at Worlds, but also what happens um you know we, we, there's a lot that's happened since we last recorded. So let's go into it. Um Jose? Sounds good. What do you want Number to start? Number 1. What's that?
1: I said, sounds good. Number one,
0: number one. Um, I guess worlds. Okay.
1: So, yeah, yeah. Let's cover worlds. Okay, worlds. Guillaume versus Guillaume in the finals. French uh, yes. on French
0: action. Yes, and uh, Guillaume won. And <laughs> uh,
1: that tells people so much.
0: Well, wasn't wasn't the guy that designed? It's, uh, it's,
1: it was the guy playing blue black control.
0: Right the guy, right, yeah, I'm playing blue black control, they could really write the headline you know hours in advance of the actual outcome uh that was kind of nice for the coverage guys i'm sure
1: yeah i did i did see i did watch that um final and uh watched uh Ricky's stoic face in the back there, you know standing there with his uh, headgear on, watching mm-hmm. solemnly.
0: You know, he got tagged in a couple of the coverage photographs, and uh, I think I did, too. Um, Yeah. So with winning the World Championship Pro Tour, um, Guillaume Matignon now is tied for Player of the Year uh, with Brad Nelson, who basically bombed out of the tournament. Um, So now they have a uh, sort of playoff that happens in Paris. For the pro tour, there on Valentine's Day weekend, when there's also a Grand Prix, um, basically it's a giant Magic, you know.
1: I don't say orgy. Don't say orgy.
0: No, I wasn't gonna say say that. I'm gonna have to cut that part out, aren't I? <laughs> <sighs> I know
1: what you're thinking, yeah, Come on, actually, it's Paris. You yeah. know, right, right, right. Early spring. Love is in the air. No, actually it's not even strange. Oh yeah, it is.
0: No, it's winter. It'll be snowy there.
1: Uh, oof. Yeah. But it is Paris and it is Valentine's Day, so I'm sure many magic players will be taking their significant others and, uh, and going out there to Paris to, uh, uh, basically ignore them and play magic.
0: Yeah. I think that's probably what'll happen. Um,
1: I, I tried to make that happen, but, uh, Sadly, I got second at the PTQ.
0: That's right. I heard you got Yeah, you got second there.
1: I got first worst. <laughs> first Actually, worst. it was an awesome it was an awesome time. I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, talk bad about it. I had a spectacular time doing that So, Um, but um even more often than that was probably your time.
0: So, Snow Monkeys, you said? Uh yeah, Snow Monkeys. Um so what happened is uh I went to uh, a place called Yudanaka, uh, which is a. Um, it's north of Nagano. So, Nagano is where they had the 1998 Winter Olympics. A beautiful older city. Um, some really awesome temples, uh, awesome shrines up there. Very beautiful. Um, and then the local food up there, they specialize in buckwheat, soba, noodles, and also. Um, sort of steamed buns filled with ground chestnuts, um, which are really tasty too. So that's what we had um, as the lo- local cuisine. And then you walk up kind of past the main street. Once you get to the end of it, there's this giant temple at the end of it. And guarding the temple are these two giant wooden giant, statues. Giant titans. Yeah, exactly. They're they're huge. Um, and they and they're all muscle bound, wooden they're wooden carvings. They're, they're but huge. Uh, they've got swords and big old yeah. They're definitely gonna kick some ass if they ever come to life. So
1: yeah, very very gnarly. And you get two lands into play tapped when they uh, enter the
0: battlefield or when they swing. Did you really just say that? Oh. Come
1: on, man! You said they were they were giant wooden titans.
0: This is true. I did say it. Okay. Well.
1: Besides, magic is uh, is uh what we do. If I don't uh, bring it back every once in a while, while you're talking about things that truly matter, you know.
0: Well, it's okay. Fair enough. So, magic matters, and uh, so we did that, and then went up to the snow monkeys. Um, and the snow monkeys are a troop of a hundred and sixty snow monkeys. Uh, they're macaques. Um, I'll say it again, macaque, that uh, they come down out of the hills.
1: And, <laughs> yeah, and you make fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it again, macaque.
0: Well, just in case you missed
1: it. jealous. I wish I said that.
0: Uh, you, you, well, okay. So <laughs>
1: anyway. Okay. So a, a tribe of them, and uh, they live in the mountains?
0: Uh, they're called a troop, I think, but it's the same idea. Tribe, troop. Same idea. 160 of these guys, uh, and girls and baby monkeys and whatnot, uh, they all come down out of the hills uh, in the middle of the day, and there are these naturally occurring hot springs that sort of form these pools. And one of these especially is one of their favorites, and there's a path in this national forest that goes right up into the area right next to that hot tub that, that one that's naturally forming more or less. Um, and there's actually a webcam there that you can actually watch the the monkeys in the hot tub. But then, um, it's a really another thing to go actually see them live. So you can, I mean, basically you, I almost tripped over a couple of them. Um, Wow Get that I mean, close, you, you huh? were, yeah, really close. In fact, we've got pictures up on Facebook. Um, so, yeah, well, I'll, I'll add a couple more in to the JudgeCast uh, photos there so people can see them. Uh, it's really amazing. So, we right, see that. But
1: if they want to see more of them, all they need to do is uh, stop you, Sean and they say.
0: uh Yes. Yes. If they want to. I mean, yes. I'm friends with a lot of our listeners, I think, that I don't actually know, so I'd be happy to. Add you as friends, also no problems at all. Um, So you could see those pictures too. Yeah. In fact, that was another side effect of Worlds was that Facebook sort of exploded for me because I have now friends in Southeast Asia, more friends in Europe, um, in Australia. You know, places that I didn't know people before. I'm like, wow, now I know people in these parts of the world. That's one of the cool things about making the judge community global and being able to network like this at these sorts of events. Um, it's really amazing. And so, Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, and uh, before they uh, fade away into the distance, you have to quickly plan a world tour and uh, stop by and crash on all their couches.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's a couch surfing website where you can go in and like register with people. And so sometimes I'll, I think, I think we're actually registered on that here too and we actually uh, i think gave Ricky and uh, his girlfriend Tasha uh first crack at using our futon if they needed a place to crash for worlds um although it's still going to be a fair distance from the actual site i think we can probably you know get some sort of a carpool over there
1: oh so, yeah that's a good idea
0: yeah cuz San Francisco Worlds next year so um uh, but of course if he doesn't take it then of course they'll be other folks that are interested. In fact, Jose, you'd be welcome too. We have a couch in addition to the futon, so come on down.
1: Oh, that sounds awesome.
0: Cool. Great. So, okay.
1: So now we're going to talk about the uh, the awesome stuff that happened at Worlds uh, as far as judging. I heard there was a, a bazillion people who uh, leveled up. Absolutely. Roughly, yeah. give or take. A-
0: I'm sorry, how many? Uh, one bazillion. Hmm. Bazillion. I need to look up the technical definition of that. How many zeros that is? I'm guessing it's an overestimation. Um, but it's but you're absolutely right. There are many. Um, we had I think eight certify for L three. So that means that
1: including
0: oh, including some pretty awesome folks, um, especially Eric Levine, uh, local here in California. Um yep. definitely get the shout out.
1: I mean he's uh he uh does a lot of work for uh, uh superstars out there, right?
0: Absolutely he does. He's the main event manager for Superstars Game Center down in San Jose. Um cool. and then we also had um let's see, two of the uh French judges that came to worlds certified for L three, uh Claire Dupree and Alexis Rassel. And in fact we have a ten minute interview with them. Um, so in fact, I think let's pause the recording right now and let's actually bring that recording in because it's one of the better ones we got. And I think you'd really benefit from hearing what they have to say about what L3 means for them. Um, so with that, do you mind pausing for a minute, Jose? Sweet. Okay, cool. That was a, a great segue on your part. I'm going to actually pause now. So I have to go I'm here and, with Alexis Russell and claire dupree Um, they are both certified for l3 as of yesterday Uh, both of them certified at least i think uh, claire certified the day before so um, we have two of the new l3s here at worlds and uh, we want to just ask them a few questions Uh, so for our listeners uh, first off how many pro tours have you been to before this one so I went in Rome
2: last year, and I went to Porto San Juan. so today is my third proto. Uh,
3: only Amsterdam and Berlin in 2007.
0: Okay. And, and so you've both been to two, this is your third. Um, what have you experienced? I mean, you've been to Worlds already before. Um, w- Alexis, what was, uh, what's been different and new about this one compared to the others that you've been to? What's been the, the best new thing you've tried here? Hmm, I think
2: that uh, Japanese players are slightly different from uh, European or American players, and it's quite a new challenge to deal with them because uh, they almost do not speak. They don't speak uh, English at all, and for public events, it's quite difficult. For the main events well, it looked like any other proto for me. Mm-hmm.
0: And Claire?
3: Yeah, um, that's the same for the main event, and I I want to add it for public events. It's very very. Um, um, difficult to yes, dealing with um, Japanese player and honestly, uh, Japanese judges are very very useful today and <laughs> um, not only for the language but also for cultural differences.
0: I I agree. The cultural differences uh, I've experienced also have been pretty uh, severe uh, and I have made many mistakes that are uh, perceived poorly by the players but i wouldn't know it until a japanese judge told me um so you both certified for l3 um i what does this mean and does this also mean for you that you'll be fighting over who gets to judge uh you know be uh, the EXO at the next grand prix in france um in paris who gets who's going to fight for that strongest here between the two of you
2: um, basically, uh, I don't think there is rivality between Claire and me. Um, the thing is that uh, there are lots of new of things to do that we are both level three, and we can share tasks. Um, well, there's no rivality.
3: Uh, obviously, there is a question of the next French national, but yeah, basically there are a lot, uh, two a lot of things. Um, we we don't at all prefer the same thing in the, in judging and in the level 3 uh, involved. So uh, I prefer particularly the formations, mentorship, and Alexis is more for the management of events. So uh, I think we can share
0: tell me more about those focuses tell me more about your your strengths as L3s what you plan to do most with this new, I mean you're part of a new club basically, where at L2 uh, at L2 you weren't um, privy to a lot of information Um, you weren't part of a lot of the policy discussions, that sort of thing uh, now, at L3, you'll be included in policy discussions. You'll be included in special lists to talk about special things. Where do you perceive that you will focus most, and what do you want to change about what you are involved with?
3: Yeah. Um, well, I have probably an idea. Um, recently, we have a change about the deck list problem, and I, I think this path in the IPG must be uh, accurate. Because, uh, I, I, I think uh, not all cases are covered, and I think too um, some cases are very, very uh, with severe issues for the player because uh, I, I don't know uh, he take a penalty and then he could uh, he, he can't just play with uh, the cards he wants. So I, I probably shouldn't that if I have the power.
2: Okay. Um, Well, uh, I I like to to find out uh, corner cases in rules and in <laughs> in the the IPG. And when uh, when I when I read the the computer, computer comprehensive rules or when I read the IPG, I sometimes show, uh so, okay with this card and with card on, in this particular case this is gonna this everything is gonna break up. So. The fact is uh, I like to find uh, things that does not work. And, for example, th- as Claire said, uh, in Deck Deck is one, there are uh, problems. And I think in the way to handle mistrigger, there are things that are strange. And in the rules, uh, there are some points that I want to change, okay. too. Um,
0: so, let's see. You've talked, we've talked a little bit about what L3 means for you in terms of policy um, and in terms of the higher-up judge community and how you shape that. Uh, what will being L3? What does L3, being L3 now? What does that mean for your community locally in the areas that you go back home to?
2: I live in the south of France, and there is a lot of no Level 3 at this uh, in south of France. In France, there is only one active Level 3 with Daniel Kiczareski, and with two new Level 3s, um, we are going to be able to uh, share tasks and to develop the community in the south of France and southwest of France. Um, well, not only in Paris with Daniel.
3: Because in France we have probably a very big community. Uh, I remember 150 judges on the, yeah, on the country, and that's make a lot of judges to to manage, and uh, especially for the certification of the level two. Yes, we we hadn't enough uh, level three before.
0: So, um, I think we're almost at the end of our lunch break here, so we'll probably need to head back soon. Um, in parting, what is the most fun... you what, what, Give me the uh, most most interesting ruling you have had to give in this world so far. The most interesting situation you've been thrown into.
3: Um, I, I have a, a, a very rare situation. A player uh, starts to draw his hand, then choose to mulligan, and then to just stop to mulligan uh, and look at this sideboard and begin to sideboard again <laughs> and we it, fortunately that was in regular so we fixed it very quickly and very easily but in competitive uh, I just don't have any idea how to solve the problem. <laughs>
0: So he sideboarded and tried to, tried to re-sideboard once he decided to start taking his mulligans. So that's, uh, he's already presented his deck, his opponent has already shuffled, they're already starting the match, and he wants to sideboard again and just stop in the middle. I would love to sideboard in the middle of games. That would be very easy sometimes. Wow. Maybe we should change the rules to allow that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so Alexis, how about you?
2: Yeah, um... I, uh, a player called me and uh, have the uh, card. This is Precursor Golem, and there are lots of rules issue with this card and very funny stuff to do with that guy. Oh, one moment. Was it right of, repli- right of replication on no. the? Uh, okay. No, it wasn't right of replication. It was. And just I say, okay. Another another question with this Golem, and just a player... Give me the card. If it was an English card. And say, uh, Judge, uh, can you translate it into Japanese, please? <laughs> and say, and say, um, sorry, I, I can't do that.
0: <laughs> Wow! I mean, it is very common for us to see people requesting Oracle text. Very common in this tournament, especially. Um, but to ask it to become into another language—that's something new for me. Um, wow! Very good, very good. Any parting uh, words for our listeners? Anything they should look forward to uh, in the future from you guys? What they should—what they should be? What do we have to expect from the French uh, L3 community now that it has two more members?
2: Yeah, um, I will try to go uh, to as much as event as possible next year. I will definitely apply for uh, GP Porto Paris. I will try to go to all European GPs, and uh, I will see if I if I am able to go to Nagoya in Philadelphia. And I really looking forward to go to uh, San Francisco.
0: Yeah, hopefully see you in San Francisco and Philadelphia. And you, Claire?
3: Um. For me, especially, uh, I don't have a plan because uh, my next year will be probably very, um, very overbooked. But um, I have very—I um, wanted really, especially for the GP Paris level 3, uh, French level 3 becomes an example for all French judges because. Um, French judges have a problem, basically. They don't speak English. <laughs> and they, they, they just don't try to open okay. yeah, open to other cultures, other language. And I won't really change that okay. during the next year.
0: Okay, well, if they need an English shooter, I'd be happy to help. Um, if I can fly to Paris, I'm not sure if I'll be able to. Uh, thank you, thank you, yes. Thank you both uh, for your assistance with this. And uh, we look forward to seeing you at future events. Thank you, Shannon. Okay, so – and we're back.
1: I don't know if the listeners will notice, but uh, when you started that interview, you had a French accent.
0: (laughs) You know, I – that's a hard thing not to take on somebody else's accent when you're talking to them in a language where they have a strong accent. I do it when I go back east – I start picking up my my relatives Massachusetts accents
1: so you took on the French accent when speaking with uh with uh, the two new l threes
0: well from France, yeah, um so yeah, of course, so it's been that's it looks like we have a lot to look forward to in Paris uh, when that happens that's gonna be a fantastic giant tournament. What was the word used earlier jose
1: I uh, don't know. It definitely mm-hmm. wasn't orgy, though. You used that word. It was you.
0: I I blame you. Okay. Because I'm editing this thing, I'll just cut that part out. You're definitely the one who said orgy. <laughs> well, Claire, Claire brings up an interesting point in her interview where she was talking about what she wants to do now that she's in an L3 and what she wants to see happen. Um, she talked a little bit about deck and deck list problems, um, and how that basically, after we give the player a penalty of a game loss, some of the fixes don't allow us to let them play with the cards that they meant to play with. Instead, we play with the cards that they gave us on the list. And I'm wondering if you have an f- opinion on that, if, if that would be an interesting change to say, well, okay, you've got your game loss play with the cards that you meant to play with, give us that list. Is there too much potential for abuse there, do you think? Like, you you put in uh, things that are especially good for sideboard cards, um, improve the deck somehow, and that game loss early on in round two might be worth it in the long run, so somebody might try to game the system that way. What do you think?
1: Okay. Um, what, I, what I think about the deck-deck list uh, problem, being able to uh put in what you meant instead of what you said. Um I'll be honest. I, I'm I'm not for that. I'm pretty against that. I think that the ability to abuse that is actually pretty high. I mean you can play how many rounds in a tournament before you go to the judges and say, oops, I meant to put in my anti valakoot uh, uh cards. I, I I totally wrote down the wrong sideboard. Let me let me fix that. I have the cards here. You know, it's like it's like bringing a a hundred card sideboard to a tournament. And then after you see what the field is, uh, altering your deck to match. Um, Now, if that's okay with people, like if that's the way magic goes, hey, you know, hundred card sideboards for everybody. But uh, I actually don't think that that is what was intended when sideboards were made. So um, I I think think, actually uh, I'm not I'm not for that change.
0: I, I think you're misinterpreting a little bit here. Um, I think what what happens in, in the, this modification that that Claire's talking about, and maybe maybe I'm maybe maybe I should just own this and say this is something that since Claire talked about, it sounds like a good idea to me. And Claire's maybe a different idea. Um, but what I guess I'm getting at is that in the fix for the deck deck list problem infraction. In the fix, it says you modify the deck to match the deck list. Um, And then if they can't find those cards that are on the deck list, then instead they can use basic lands, but they can't use the cards that they're actually using. So this isn't so much that we, we let them come up to us somewhere later in rounds and say, you know, oh look, I did this by mistake, and this is my real deck, and I want to change this. This is once we've already given them the in, the penalty the infraction uh for a deck problem, so this would come up in a deck check potentially later in rounds that's sure, but more likely um it's to come up in round two uh when we're actually giving them the penalty for having an illegal deck list um you know with a with a card on it um that doesn't belong in the format, for instance, or a card name that's ambiguous, um, that, that sort of thing. So th- to clarify, it's once we've already given them a game loss. We've already done that part before we get to the point of saying, okay, now let's, how do we move on from here? And instead of saying, you know, if you can't find, you know, I know you put four cryptic commands down on your extended deck list, um, and instead you're running four Jace Bellerins, and you just totally forgot to switch those out after you wrote the decklist last night and were testing it and changed it. Um, but now you have to go find either four cryptic commands or play with four islands, and you're stuck. I think that's a... I can see the problem with that fix.
1: And, well, yeah, and I understand that, but that is also a problem. I don't see how that's different from what I said. Imagine a scenario where, in round three, a player calls you over after the first game and says, "Oh, I just looked at my sideboard and I saw that I have four of this card in there. I meant to have four of that card in there.":
0: um, Well, that's
1: by the way, I also have a 16 card sideboard.
0: Well, in that case, we just okay. So, it, what you see what I
1: mean? Players? Like you're you're talking about opening the door to a player reinterpreting what he meant, like the difference between an innocent "oops, I meant to put in Jace's instead of cryptic commands," and uh, an abuse of of the said uh, excuse is is really too thin in my book.
0: Okay, so well, but if he's calling you over and saying, you know. This is what my sideboard actually is, um, and this is these are the fifteen cards I'm going to be using for the rest of the tournament. Um, and I don't think this matches the list I gave you. Um, then we still give him a, a game loss there. Well, unless he's calling himself over and the head judge decides to downgrade and whatnot. Um, I don't even think that's an option in that IPG at that point. Though it's still going to be a game loss. Um,
1: sure, but like I, I guess what I'm saying is that. There's there's a potential for abuse, and um, I think that due diligence and penalizing, you know, lapse of, of diligence is better than opening the door for that sort of abuse, especially when it may behoove a player to take a game loss in an early round when he sees the top tables are all playing some deck that he wants to sideboard for. You know what I mean? Like, one game loss is not enough of a penalty for that. I mean, maybe maybe I'm being paranoid. You know, I'm I'm notoriously paranoid. But um, that just seems like a flaw in, in that system. Yeah, well,
0: I mean, you're not even going to get an opportunity to downgrade in that case. I mean, the the opportunities to downgrade in the IPG are really limited. Um, and in this case, it's just limited to failing to de-sideboard, which is different than changing your list. I mean, if your list is wrong, you're still getting a game loss. Um, I think the, also you run into, you know, somebody actually doing this for an advantage. Um, if they do it with any regularity, or if they just do it, I get the sense that, you know, you open yourself up to a lot of really easily found fraud by doing this. I mean, if you, have an opponent that says, you know, he was playing different sideboard cards against me in, you know, in in earlier rounds. Um, I mean, that, that's a, there's all sorts of problems that can be easily identified with that. Um, and I think the, the upside is that the players get to play with the cards that they meant to play with. And I understand that there's a potential for abuse. I just don't think it's going to be that common.
1: Well, well, sure, but then what is the definition of what they meant to play? You know, is it what they thought well, they had they in playing. their box? No,
0: it's it's is what they, it what they thought
1: the game, the meta game, was going to be like.
0: Is what they is the it what the they, they, bought, they the intend to
1: play now that they know what's going on? You know what I mean? Like they may have meant to play. They may have net decked the deck, built it as it is, rolled in and then said, "Oh, oh man, I was totally going to change out this sideboard."
0: Well, I didn't mean to, to just get That's... the list
1: verbatim. I was going to change this out to something more advantageous. Right. Like that could be an honest desire for That's... for a player who you just can... took the list off offline from a previous tournament where deck A was really popular, but the player took the list verbatim and said, "Man, but deck B is going to be uh, you know, the hotness in, at this uh, upcoming ptq i've got to put in my four you know what have you's um but then I mean, he just so forgot when just, he gets there that day
0: but you're sticking him with the 75 cards that he presents i mean you, pre- you present your deck you also present your sideboard those 15 cards those 60 cards basically when we find that deck deckless problem we say okay those are the cards you presented those are the cards you actually get to play with Let's ignore what you put on the list, or let's modify what you put on the list to reflect the cards you're actually playing with. And if you played with different cards earlier, or if you play with different cards later, then we have a much bigger problem that's much easier to deal with. I mean, basically, you've, you know, it's a very simple thing to deal with in that case because it's just simple fraud. Right. So I think, you know, sticking them with those 75 cards that they present and saying, You meant to play with these cards, right? I mean, you put them in your deck, and then you you presented them and said, this is my deck. Like, getting them to use those cards? I'm cool with that. Saying, you know, instead you've got to either find these other cards that you wrote down here, and then if you can't, then you have to get basic lands. Instead of just playing with the cards that you brought, that seems like the wrong kind of fix.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, I, I, I can give you that. I do think there's abuse, but you know, if, if you, if one takes the stance that, you know, you're, you're already assuming like, I guess I have trouble just looking the other way when I see an exploit in a system, you know, um, this seems like an exploitable change, but I do agree with you. I mean, I, I, you know, if you show up to play a game and, uh, you know something happened, and you're not playing with the uh, pieces uh, that you want. You know that you came there to play with, and somebody tells you, "No, you got to play with that." You wrote it down.
0: Well, and and also it's it's not just the ones that you want. You're not playing with the cards that you are playing with, but also um, this is we should be really clear. This is a just a possible change that you and i are just kind of knocking back and forth here it's not something that's as far as i know even under serious consideration at the higher levels that would actually change policy not to say it's not but just to keep that in mind don't go starting no. making rulings on this your next ptq with that in mind
1: <laughs> yeah yeah oh that's that's a good disclaimer um well i mean i i can uh, i'm not you know 100 one way or the other but my gut instinct says uh uh, that it may be bad, but you know i i i'm I'm really for customer service. I really think that anything that can make the customer service uh, a better experience is something that is worth considering uh as far as uh judging and rulings go so um so you know i'm I'm open to other arguments but i'm not i'm gonna be in the no camp
0: okay well, I'll count you in the no camp and when the i p g comes out and changes then we can discuss it some more. I'm sure good to have us not both agree on the same thing all the time. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it, we're, we're disagreeing, but we're respecting each other's position. That's, that's it. Yeah. Jerk. (laughs) Very nice. I have no segue for this. So I will just say, so what about, uh, some of the, um, uh, the rulings at worlds,
0: anything uh, that will happen to you? Yeah, there were some interesting ones. Um, the first one that comes to mind is actually, um, I had a player who was in the middle of his attack step, and he was playing Mon burn and he goes to attack, and uh, he says, okay, I'll attack with um, you know this creature, this creature, this creature, oh, and I'll sacrifice my um, elemental appeal with its four counters on it, and make a 7-1 with trample, and I'll attack with that also. And his opponent says, Whoa, 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 you're already in the middle of attacking. Um, You know, you can't go back and then activate this ability, let it resolve, get your creature, and then attack with it after you've already started declaring attackers. And so, of course, you know, he calls the judge. That happens to be me. Um, And I want to actually, before I give you the answer of how we resolve this issue, what would you do in this case?
1: Um, well, uh, uh, what's the REL? This is world, right? So it's professional.
0: Yep. It's professional.
1: Um, well, uh, the IPG allows for certain shortcuts. Um, mm-hmm. you are allowed to activate your, uh, uh, treetop village and, uh, attack with it when you declare attackers. Mm-hmm. Um, it says it's a valid shortcut. So this is the uh, same deal.
0: All right. um, and then,
1: and are you now? Hold on. Did you say elemental appeal, or did you mean zektar shrine? Um, because elemental appeal is a spell. It's a sorcery.
0: I meant. I must have meant zektar shrine expedition. Yeah.
1: Right. So, so to tell you the truth, I don't see a difference between activating your treetop village and swinging with it, and sacrificing your zektar shrine and swinging with that. Absolutely. Um,
0: that's that's. If it's that's, a
1: valid shortcut, it's a valid shortcut.
0: And that is what I ruled on. That um, the the actual thing that we're, we we used to do this and explain it uh, was that it's out of order sequencing. O O O S. Yes.
1: I, I did not know you were looking for the the, the exact word. I thought you oh, just well, wanted to rule.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's
1: yes, technical out of order sequencing. Yes.
0: Um, so good. So that's what we we're. Yeah, that's what we did um, for that situation. Um, let's see. We also had. Um, another one come up where um, basically language barriers come into play a lot more where um, you know, one player is basically um, he speaks Portuguese and basically no other language. Um, And the other player across from him speaks Chinese and a tiny bit of English. And (laughs) what happens is that At the beginning of game one, they've decided that the player who speaks Chinese is going to go first, and the player who speaks Portuguese is going to go second. However, the player who speaks Portuguese has a ley line. So he says, Okay, hold on, puts his ley line on the battlefield, and then the player who speaks Chinese has a sort of (laughs) mental brain fart where he says, Oh, yeah, right, okay, so. I'm actually going second, so I'll draw. Oh. (laughs) And so not only do we have this issue of, okay, you have improper drawing at the start of the game, but when I first got to the table, I had a completely different understanding of what had happened just through the pantomime of the motions and trying to get them to rewind the whole, whole game and say, okay, show me what happened. Because that's easier than saying, you know, okay, tell me what happened because you only speak Portuguese and <laughs> we don't have a Portuguese-speaking judge on hand at the moment. Um, and you speak a little bit of English, but I'm misinterpreting that too, so just show me. And even that looked to me as though you know, perhaps this Chinese-speaking player had tried to actually draw an extra card or had noticed he had done something wrong. And then said, oh no, no, I'm just gonna play pre ordering anyway, so I get to see that card, it's not gonna matter. And you can't do that. So there's a lot of weird confusion. Um, yeah. we ended there's up there's applying- I,
1: I think there's a good takeaway on that. Um I think that uh sometimes um uh judges may be tempted to make an you know, like a, a ruling just from their immediate uh interpretation of the scenario. Because you know, sometimes Tournaments are kind of short shrifted uh, when it comes to staff. So you really want to be on the floor or, you know, you you have a lot of stuff that you're doing um, at a tournament. So it feels like, you know, if you're if you're able to answer the question quickly um, uh, or make a ruling quickly, then you should do so. But um, especially especially when it comes to player communication issues, um, I totally advocate staying spending a few extra moments and making sure that you got uh, you know you got the angles on everything Absolutely. because um something you know some misinterpretation can happen they don't even need to not speak your language somebody can just say something funky um mm-hmm. that happened to me at uh, one ptq where uh the two people were were telling me uh, two different uh interpretations of the event that happened in question um uh and uh it was just through asking a few questions that I found out that both players actually meant the same thing. So it ended up being just a a communication issue between the two of them. So like there was no rules uh, problem. It was just that they interpreted something differently.
0: Yeah. And that's something that some players don't understand. Even at the higher levels, when they call a judge over and they think something's wrong, even though the judge is there, even though something may have gone wrong, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're actually getting to deal with an infraction a penalty all the rest of this not all the time sometimes there's a okay you guys just need to you know talk about things or play more slowly or you know understand each other's shortcuts is that shortcut okay okay it is great let's go forward um and, and that's you know <laughs> sometimes that just alleviates a lot of the headaches yeah um one of the interesting things that happened, I was actually, um, for the first day of the event on, uh, the, the main event, um, for Friday or for Friday, for Thursday, for Thursday, I was on the main event, um, just on logistics and it was fantastic. Um, James McKay was my team lead. Uh, he actually uh, was promoted to level four at the judge dinner at the end of the event. Um, so that was amazing to watch and be a part of, um, But also, um, after that, on Friday, I was the head judge for the PTQ um, that happened because they had one PTQ every day. And so um, the head judge for the PTQ, um, 120 players. We started off with 10 judges for that um, and quickly shrank down (laughs) to, I think, maybe four. By the end of the, the Swiss rounds, the last couple Swiss rounds, we only had myself and one other Japanese judge uh, a fantastic judge by the name of Koichi Inouye. And um, Koichi inouye son. he was fantastic. Absolutely um, the best judge I could have had in that position. Um, and it was really, really grateful to have a judge that spoke Japanese because it's a luxury that we didn't always have in public events. Or um, sometimes, you know, you, you go over to a call and You know, 90% of the players in public events um, are Japanese speaking with very little English, if any. You go over to them and you say, okay, hello, how can I help? And they immediately say, uh, maybe we can get a Japanese judge. Because all the players there know the words Japanese judge, Um, of course. So then they call for Japanese judge and I'm like, let's try (laughs) <laughs> because because the japanese judges were generally overwhelmed um there's just so much to do and um uh, not 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 a ton of them because of course you want them to be able to work at the main event too you don't want all the western judges you know at the main event and all the japanese judges on public events they don't get to mingle don't get to network um so you you definitely want it mixed up very well
1: yeah Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, in fact, we have um, an interview here uh, with the um, regional coordinator for Japan. And I'll, Takanori san is his name. um, And I will, of course, uh, load this up here. If you don't mind pausing for a minute, uh, and he will come on shortly here.
1: Awesome. Awesome.
0: I'm here with uh, Takanori Nakamura uh, from Japan. Uh, he is a uh, regional coordinator for Japan, um, and uh, he is um, very uh, very much a central figure in making things run smoothly here between Japanese and uh, English-speaking staff. Um, Takanori-san, uh, can you tell us a little bit about... Um, what you do as a judge in this area here,
4: especially uh, for Japan? Yeah. I just about, yeah. Yeah. Hello, I am Takanori Nakamura, and uh, the in the Japan uh, from Japan and uh, level two as uh, judges and on uh, um, and Tokai uh, Tokai area of Japan. Uh, I actually and uh, uh, open the sanctioned events and uh, from the. Uh, usually, eternal format. I uh, like legacy and vintage and so on. Yeah. I I I, I uh, will go the worlds uh, uh, like the uh, day one for the tech check stuff and for the day three is uh, the paper stuff. Uh, I worked on the other foreign languages and other foreign uh, of stuffs and translate into the Japanese for uh, Japanese to English and uh, vice versa and. Uh, It's a great experience for us every day in the world, Uh, thank you.
0: So um, what has been the uh, hardest part, most difficult part for your experience here at Worlds so far?
4: Uh, It is the most difficult part for the end, for the I, I hardly to hear, hearing uh, English. Uh, I recognize the English for the writing and for the writing part, uh, but I cannot, uh, I can hardly to uh, hearing English and for the not native English. (laughs) So
0: we understand what is the most difficult for
4: you. Uh, Where have you had the most fun so
0: far at Worlds today?
4: I have the most fun at uh, during the world of the day one through the day three, and uh, I, I, I am the head judge of the day two, the vintage championship tournament, and uh, through the event very smoothly and for the uh, other other stuff yeah. oh, it is thanks to the other other staffs and the Japanese and the foreign staffs, and uh, other the public events for the greater staff and the scorekeepers. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Takanori-san. Any parting words for our listeners? Okay. Mm, I think it's usually uh, this token is bit in for the Metal World Warfare. Uh, metal World Warfare is for the makes, makes me for the level, level 1 to the level 2. It's, okay. Hey.
0: Again, thank you very much. Okay. All right, Jose. So that was uh, Takanori-san. Regional coordinator for Japan. Can you imagine being regional coordinator for a country with a player base like Japan's at level two? <laughs> I
1: I cannot. Um, um uh, Ricky kind of yelled at me for uh, not testing. Uh, uh coming up uh, next year. Uh, so far, like the early uh, early next year, and um, I just told him, "Well, you know, I want to get a a couple more." Uh, um. You know, uh, tournaments under my belt and then and then I may go for uh, L2. You know, I like to uh, be a productive and, uh, um, you know, uh, capable uh, person wearing the belt, you know. Um, but, you know, I just wasn't there. Now, if you tell me, oh, yeah, level two, you're going to coordinate Japan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty huge. Um, now, at the yeah. end there, uh, he, he mentioned Mitchell Waldbauer. Who will, we actually cut a little bit out in the middle there, uh, where Mitchell came in and interrupted us to talk about a tournament issue, uh, which we can get to also. But Mitchell is an amazing guy too. He is a native of, um, the US here, and he actually, um, lives in Tokyo now full time. He's been there a few years. And he was responsible for certifying Takanori san from level one to level two, even though now uh, Mitchell, I think, is level two, and he was level three at one point, so I think he may someday get back up to that level. Um, it's really just, uh, he's an awesome asset because he's uh, fluent in Japanese enough that, you know, it's very easy when Mitchell was around. <laughs> In Public events or in the main event, uh, when an issue came up between Japanese judges and new Western judges, he was a great bridge, as was Takanori-san. They're both fantastic, um, yeah. So,
1: very, very cool. That was that was a pretty cool interview, though. I must point out again, you started talking with a very staccato rhythm. Well, I did very Japanese.
0: Well the rhythm wasn't so much Japanese as just the staccato I was talking about earlier where you start, you start talking in short punctuated language because as Takenori-san said, it's really hard to understand all the different varieties of English there when you're not a native speaker yourself. So it's on our, our shoulders as native English speakers without much of the other languages under our belts to, you know, do what we can to make it easier for them. (laughs)
1: Right, but speaking fast in staccato format it does not help anyone.
0: Well, no, and, and I wasn't trying to talk fast, but anyway, okay. So, um, the issue that Mitchell came to talk about, talk about with uh, Takanori san was regarding the team events, and the team events at Worlds are really interesting because you have three matches together, um, and basically each match of the three counts as sort of a game as far as the match points are concerned. Um, so basically, you know, you win two of the, the legacy and the extended get wins and standard gets a loss. Then that team gets a win and it's counted as two, one. So individual games inside those matches don't really matter. Um, it's really sort of an awkward (laughs) format. A lot of weird things happen in it. Um, for instance, you know, you have to manage all these other players can talk among each other, um, on their team and give each other advice and that sort of thing. But you're also having, you know, a player sitting two seats away. Um, you know, when his teammate shuffles his opponent's deck, there's a potential for, you know, him to maybe see cards in that deck. Um, so you have to look for people Looking at those things and trying to get an advantage that way because then you get an outside assistance and other stuff. Um, you know, so that's bad. Um, I, but then also you get these really interesting situations where, you know, basically they don't care about that last match, but the last match wants to play it out anyway, even though the match is already decided. You know, the legacy is like, Oh, but it's going to be an epic match. Let's keep going. Um, so you get to go to time very quickly. And doing deck checks for team events like this are really awkward. Because normally, well, you've swooped your favorite. Can you describe how we sort of deck check at a normal event?
1: Sure. Well, uh, you know, uh, between rounds, we, uh, we pull out the, uh, either the decks, the decks with deck problems or uh, the randoms or, you know, uh, basically pull out the people that we're going to swoop in on. Mm-hmm. and uh what we do is deploy uh somewhere somewhere around where we're going to swoop in and uh we just you know watch the table we're judges we're pretty good at keeping our attentions on multiple places at one time and um just as soon as uh they present their decks um for you know cutting and shuffling uh then you just come in and tell them to hold on and that you need their decks and
0: sideboards right, right. so that's how you so do it for two players in a match. When we have six players, <laughs> it's really weird because you want them to present their decks, but you don't want them to start shuffling and mulliganing and whatnot until, you know, you, you only you want to get them all at once if you can. Um, and explaining this to one of the lower, well, one of the level one Japanese judges was really difficult because he didn't speak much English. And so I started sort of, he came up to me and asked me, you know, how do we actually do this? Because it's not like something we've ever done before. And that's not something I've done before either. Although I'd seen it happen in day one. So when we go to day three and I'm on deck checks, um, you know, I, I kind of pantomime the whole issue with him and say, okay, the first one that presents is the one we take. So it's this middle one. We take this one first and we still all stop, take them all. And we have a, pair of judges for each match you know they each get one deck to check um we also have to keep them straight you can't give <laughs> the legacy players the extended decks advice you know vice versa it's got to be kept in order and that sort of thing um so it's a, a little complicated thing and generally you're asking for somebody to give you their deck and sideboard before they presented and you're doing that for two of the three matches every time you do a check which is pretty strange um, so that's that's how we do checks there. And the whole rigmarole of pa- pantomiming how we do this um, got Ricky to ask me to repeat that dance because he thought it was some sort of weird dance move that I was doing for him. So
1: <laughs> The uh, the deck check shuffle?
0: More or less, yeah. Uh, I think I would go to Charleston with my knees or something at some point, but Yeah. <sighs> So that's the team event, and that's how we do deck checks. Um, a little bit more of the international flavor there, too. Um, the Irish team did not even show up for day three for the team event there, which was weird. Um, although when they did show up, they showed up with the Italian team's flags because the Italian team had taken the wrong flags because um, they each have the little flag that they carry around with them to their matches and bring it back and stuff. Um, and, of course, the Italian and Irish flags are only, you know, they're slightly off in the color orange and red for the the one bar on the side there. Um, other than that, I mean, the team events were a lot of fun. And, oh, the thing what Mitchell was talking about, when you run into this team event also, you have usually um, your one team captain, usually a person who won the nationals, um, sitting in the middle. And he really has a strong interest in motivating his teammates and talking to them and telling them what to do or helping them out, giving them advice. When he does that though, he can't touch their cards. Um, you can't have somebody else manipulating your cards for you because at that point, they might as well just play the game for you. And that's not what this game's about. I mean, you can t- get advice, but you play the game. Um, and that was a weird thing that we ran into a few times where players didn't understand that or didn't know that. Um, but a neat thing about it is that it's one of those weird things where it's not something where there's a specific infraction in the IPG for it. We just say, you know, don't do that. Um, and if they keep doing it again, then we have problems. But generally speaking, you know, just, Hey, don't do that is good enough.
1: That's, that's a, a a great little nugget of wisdom there. Um, I think it it makes total sense, but you're right. I, I don't think anybody's put it in the IPG or anything. Because it comes well, up so rarely. I mean, um, I used to play teams more, like just casually at pre-releases and such. Um, but lately, you know, especially with the regional pre-releases, uh, you know, kind of pared down and and um, uh, more store pre-releases being run, you, you hardly ever see uh, uh, team events going on at uh, your local uh, card
0: shop. So well, it's not just the three-man teams, but this also that rule will also apply to two-headed giant.
1: Yeah, you and we get to see more of that in Sacramento, but still there are players who don't see that at all as well. You know. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Well, that's the piece there that we wanted to talk about. Uh, we've covered the regional coordinator for Japan, a couple of the L3s from France in our interviews here. Um, I think we've covered a bunch of worlds. Maybe we can come back with some more of the interviews for some of the new L3s um, and stay tuned after the end music for – um, Glenn White, level four judge from the UK, reciting haiku. But until then. Very,
1: very, very on theme there. Um, <laughs> so kind of wrapping one, up the one, world stuff. But <laughs> One thing that I wanted to ask you, I remember you mentioned that like, you know, the. Um, you know, all the glitz and glamour of worlds um, are usually on the main event and, you know, multiple days of you know the best of the best slugging it out in in this uh just a war of attrition until you know only only a few uh players are left standing um but really there's a lot of action in the uh side events like you know your PTQs you're you're having a lot of stuff go on there there's you know supporting Worlds is a, a huge endeavor for uh judges so um if you wanted to talk a little bit about what your feelings were just being there like you know this is this is the this is the big show and i think you know some some uh judges and I, i'm sure a lot of players would love to hear like you know it, it, give me your top 5 best experiences
0: okay um top 5 well judging the ptq was judging the ptq is up there because you know that's actually oddly the first ptq i've had judged, judged. uh which is strange for being an L2 in this area. Um although I had Georgia States and other things like that. So heading up a PTQ, managing a team like that and having to be flexible with all the different assignments people get flown off to. Um that was awesome. I think the most awesome experience is probably watching my wife draft Scarsamirden with Richard Garfield.
1: Yikes. That's abuse, isn't it? Your uh, your Lindsay doesn't uh, uh, play magic very regularly, and well, that guy made the game. You know, he created it.
0: <laughs> well, it's not just him; it's him and his son. His son's like thirteen years old, um, and so yeah, you know, they were drafting. They were trying to get a group of people together to draft English product because um, all the drafts that were going around there were in Japanese product um so they wanted a person draft and they kind of wanted to do a different sort of format just for fun that uh Dr. Garfield was considering and wanted to try out where basically you only draft with two packs and you make a 30 card deck and then basically using all your cards there <laughs> and then basically whoever wins gets the other person's deck builds that in, plays with the best 50-card deck they can make out of the two. And then, you know, you have that third round between two sort of mega decks, um, which is different. So, yeah, that's... Wow. um,
1: (laughs) That sounds amazing. Yeah, that's kind of neat. Starfield Draft. I can't believe we just uh, cracked the the door open on a, a new format.
0: Yeah. So that's a an interesting format that, that she got to play in um with Dr. Garfield and, her, and his son. Um again, it just they sort of saw her playing EDH at one of the tables here and said, "Hey, um you know, would you like to do an English format with English product with us here? Um we're trying to get some people together." And she kind of looked a little bewildered and said, "Well, with who?" <laughs> 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 um and I, I said, look, hun, this is once in a lifetime opportunity. You're going to love the game in the long run. You have to play this. Do this. Go do this. Um, and in that time, I was actually on eight man's, uh, which is, you know, basically the pickup drafts or pickup, you know, legacy or standard or commander or whatever else. Um, and, and it, that was actually one of my top experiences also, I think. But watching her draft that, one go through that experience was fantastic. Um, and this, the whole world's thing really got her into the game a lot. So now, you know, she's coming to our local EDH nights, um, down at one of the stores here. Um, she's definitely more interested in the game.
1: That is, that is amazing. That is amazing.
0: I mean, it only took, cool.
1: they, who, who ended up winning.
0: Um, I think actually Skylar Garfield won that. Um, <laughs> so yeah.
1: Dream crusher. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh
1: Team so Crusher Garfield.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know if that's fair, man. I can just picture Lindsay there, you know, holding an umbrella to defend herself against the onslaught of uh, uh the Garfield uh, you know, family just opening up with huge mega blasters, you know, mm-hmm. street fighter style.
0: Well, and this is the you, to think of it in another way. <laughs> she drafted and, and and you know, I think she lost early on to, to Skyline in this draft, but that person in losing to that person, she lost to the person who is the reason that, um, splendid Genesis, the card was created.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man.
0: I mean, that's pretty awesome too. (laughs) Or maybe it's, I guess it's his, I guess he was the second one to the, the, get your little brother, give him a deck. I think, I think that that was that, that Garfield child. But anyway, um, I mean, the other side of this is that, you know, it only took drafting with Richard Garfield to make my wife love magic. Um, so that's, yeah.
1: That's that's pretty good. Though, you know, since he made magic, can he like scrawl something on a card and just have it exist?
0: Well, that's can he just be I mean. like
1: beat target Lindsay, you know?
0: <laughs> I think I think he wants to have it be more fun than that. I think he's, you know, and it's interesting, actually, we, we, we rode in the same bus back to the airport and I got to sort of overhear him talking with Sam Black about, um, and Sam Black, if you don't know, is a, just a, a pro that, you know, is part of the tournament and uh, a great American player. Um, so I got to kind of overhear the conversation between Sam and, and Richard Garfield where Sam got to ask him all these great questions about, you know, the beginnings of magic and, um, heard some really interesting pieces there, too. I think at one point I heard him say that, well, it's kind of a fluke that black and red don't have any artifact or enchantment destruction. It wasn't really by design. It just kind of happened that way. Um, so that was different.
1: Black, black and red have artifact and enchantment
0: destruction. I don't know
1: what you're talking about.
0: Um, not in beta.
1: No, but they fixed it up. Come on. Well
0: Gate to Phyrexia. Oh, right. Um so <laughs> you know. Wild what I'm talking Swing. About, right?
1: Actually, I, was, I think that's non enchantment permanence. Actually, I think it says yeah, it is specifically non enchantment yeah. permanence.
0: Yeah. So that that's uh I thought that was kind of neat. Just to hear you know, hear those things too. So um,
1: yeah, he has a podcast, by the way.
0: Um, Yes, Games of
1: Garfield. I think just started carrying, so uh, shout out to that. Um, uh, It's been pretty interesting listening to it. You know, I like, uh, I'm a sort of amateur game designer as well, so um, I do like uh, listening to uh, them talk about games. I agree most of the time, disagree some of the time, but overall they're quite bright over there. Absolutely. That's called, um, I don't know what they call it now, they used to have a name. I think it was Three Donkeys podcast, uh, which was a little, little unusual for
0: a name. But yeah, Games with Garfield.
1: Games with Garfield. Thank you. That's that's, it. Uh, that's what it is now.
0: Well, I only had to say it four times, but yes, that's a weird connection here.
1: Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> right.
0: Um Oh. One other cool thing that happened, um, at the judge dinner, I mean, we of course have James McKay going up to level four, which is fantastic. Um, but we also had, uh, two judges recognized for being, I think the, it was the Japanese organizer Miyamoto san He, um, basically wasn't able to make it to the dinner, but then, uh, told one of his guys, Hey, um, you know, can you give these to these two judges handed him two bottles of sake and said, I want you to give these to these two judges for being most valuable judges in, in helping the Japanese judges work with the Western judges and help things out. Um, so one of those judges was the public events manager on um, Sunday uh, or, or I'm sorry, Saturday, uh, Glenn White, who um, again, you'll hear him recite haiku later um <laughs> We had 1,600 players enter events on that day. Um, And he had to manage the judge staff to move between and among all of them and get it straightened out so that all of them got a good experience and had fun. Um, So that was huge. Um, And then the other one they gave to me. MVJ? Yeah. Uh, And I don't really – I mean – I kind of understand why because I really connected well with a lot of the Japanese judges and I I guess, you know, their impression of what an American judge is going to do there is probably, you know, not be as active or involved or whatnot. But even then there are a lot of judges that did a lot of more, a lot harder work than I did for that time. Um, Even so, it was a a huge uh, moment where I really, really, appreciated being in the culture and around the people and just really fantastic. So, um, and a complete surprise.
1: That um, is, that is awesome.
0: So when we have, um, you down here to Berkeley, um, maybe for the judge conference next month or some other time like that, um, we'll have to, uh, you know, crack the bottle of sake with Ricky and some of the others here. Cause, um, it's also strange um, in that I don't drink, so.
1: <laughs> well, uh, you accepted it graciously, and we oh, will course. drink it graciously. Don't worry, dude. I will bring my geisha dress.
0: <laughs> um, that sounds mildly disrespectful, but I do know where you're coming from. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that's a, what do you mean? That's a, that's that's all upside. I'm not gonna wear it. Don't worry. Okay. We'll put it on Ricky after he gets, you know, two sheets to the wind.
0: And that'll be after one shot.
1: Yeah, he's a he's a lightweight. He is.
0: He is. Face turns red, dies uh, bloodshot. He's fantastic. Um
1: Okay, that's that's cool. I mean we 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 hammered uh worlds into the ground, I think. Um but of course, uh if uh, our listeners have any questions on it, they can just uh write us at uh, judgecast at gmail dot com or just post on our Facebook uh uh, page and uh you know put in uh you know witty replies to uh all the pictures you're gonna post on there.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I will of course um be happy to share other pictures of Japan and, and the snow monkeys and whatnot um as soon as we have the opportunity to put those up. Um okay and of course also in future episodes here um, you and I talked about getting into a regular schedule now, that we have sort of all this hecticness over with. Uh, to, every other week we can put a new episode. next couple we will actually have more content from Worlds, and we only put two interviews in today, but there will be more in later. Um, we have Edwin Zhang from China and Canada. Uh, we have uh, a bunch of others from uh, various other parts of the world, um, including Thailand, uh, Australia, um, basically, um, a lot of places. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, listen for those, but let's go on to the other parts that aren't about worlds and that sort of thing. Cause we're about, um, an hour and 15 minutes into recording here.
1: Okay. It sounds good.
0: Okay. So what's our next, uh, spot here, Jose?
1: Uh well, uh, what judge cast would uh uh be complete without uh answering some listener questions.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um looks like we only have a few to deal with right now, but that'll be easy. So let's start off with let's See, this is from Eric. Eric um oh dear, he doesn't say where he's from. Although I'm sure he put it in a previous email. Well, you want to just make up a place that Eric would be from?
1: No, oh yeah, no. I I know Eric. Uh, I, uh, I want to congratulate him on uh, the new elections in Belarus. Um, oh, good. You know, things look a little hectic there, but uh, but hopefully he's doing okay and the country will be fine.
0: Okay, well that's I hope fantastic to hear. Um, I'm a little weird now. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they love their vodka.
0: Belarus. So Eric from Belarus. Um he says, Necroskitter reads whenever a creature an opponent controls with a minus one minus one count on it is put into a graveyard, you may return that creature to play under your control, so it kind of s- steals creatures um from your opponents when they die, usually with something involving wither or something like that, so progenitor
1: or giant oyster
0: <laughs> or giant oyster, yes. Or in fact, but... Um,
1: that yes, clam giant, is jamming.
0: Giant oyster plus necroskitter. I think you've just broken legacy, Jose. Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, we we also need to talk about the uh, leg- uh, the the ban-restricted list announcement, but we'll mention that afterwards.
0: Okay. Um. So necroskitter. And then progenitus reads, if it be put into a grave from anywhere, reveal it, shovel it into its owner's library instead. So right now, he's asking... Which ability would resolve first? So you have, say, a progenitus that somehow got a minus one, minus one counter on it, and it dies. necro skitters on the battlefield. What happens?
1: Okay, so progenitus, does that have a replacement effect or a trigger?
0: Aha, that's important to know. Um... Progenitus has a replacement effect, not a triggered ability. Um, Its ability is going to replace the action of putting into the graveyard with something else. And so because NecroSkitter says whenever a creature an opponent controls is put into a graveyard, then it will never trigger because Progenitus never goes to the graveyard.
1: Man, Progenitus looks at that NecroSkitter and says, Man, please indeed
0: however let's replace Progenitus with emrakul the aeons torn
1: no we can't do that cuz we're playing commander obviously cuz i'm playing my skeleton ship edh which rocks necroskitter and giant oyster and um we just uh we can't play emrakul anymore
0: okay ulamog you're not getting out of this jose
1: Ulamog is indestructible, so that's really hard. That's a lot of giant oystering, let me tell you. But sure, okay, many rounds go, many rounds go by, many turns go by, and uh, giant oyster finally eats Ulamog, and uh, he'll go to the graveyard. Obviously, my giant oyster has been eating him on my upkeep, so I'm the active player. Um, when Ulamog goes to the yard, he has a triggered ability that will shuffle all of your yard, into uh, your library. Um, unfortunately, it is on my turn because I control Giant Oyster, and uh, the stuff is put on the stack in uh, active player, non-active player order. So I'll put my Necro Skitter trigger on there. You know, it went to the graveyard. Oh, Necro is going to take it. Uh, but then the non-active players in turn order put their stuff on the stack. So my opponent goes... Yeah, but Ulamog going to shuffle in, and uh, I'm going to get to uh, annihilate you sometime in the future. So okay. he gets all his stuff back, and uh, I get to untap my giant oyster eventually.
0: Mm-hmm. And your necroskitter trigger will resolve and do nothing. So. Well, good times. Okay, so that's Eric's question um, from Belarus, apparently.
1: I hear they have great oysters. Moving Shellfish right and vodka? Delicious.
0: Okay. Oh, hey. This is a question from Dave from Colorado Springs. Um, he's one of our regular question askers. Um, in fact, I had the opportunity to meet him at the Star City Open weekend in Denver uh, earlier this year. So, And hopefully have a chance to meet him at maybe Grand Prix Denver when we uh, head back that way. So, he has this question. Um Here's a setup. I have Master Transmuter and Mirror Battlesphere on the board along with the four uh, the four Mirror tokens. On my turn, I declare my attack. Declare my Mirror Battlesphere is my only attacker. Battlesphere's trigger on the stack uses Master Transmuter to bounce the Battlesphere to my hand and then put it back onto the battlefield making four more tokens. Then when the trigger re- resolves, I tap all eight mirror token, plus the battle sphere. Obviously, the original battle sphere is no longer on the field to get the bonus, the plus nine plus zero, and doesn't do any combat damage. But the rest of the trigger trigger should still work, right? So he's asking, does his opponent take nine damage to the face? Um, and then he also wants to know if he has Voltaic Key, <laughs> can I use that to? Uh, Untap the transmuter, bounce to the battle sphere. Second time, get thirteen damage in instead.
1: Um, all that sounds uh pretty
0: awesome. It does indeed. That's uh, wow. I mean, it's extended combo now, but kind of neat.
1: That that is kind of neat. Um, um, pre- I don't have a battle sphere in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it says. Um, that the Battlesphere gets a bonus and then it deals that much damage to target player. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, that should all work. Um, He uh, will get to uh, untap his Transmuter, and it's important that he said the Transmuter, and not some shenanigans like untapping his Battlesphere to tap it again for the ability or something. Because uh, you tap the Mirror uh, when the ability resolves. But um but yeah, he, he will get an army of uh Mir and they will combine into a giant uh uh thunderball and uh roll over your opponent for damage. Um but his battle sphere won't be attacking anymore, so
0: right. Yeah, the giant Mir Katamari that combo works. Good times. Okay, so let's archive that question. And hey, you know what? Eric has another question for us. He, he sent us two. Um, he still doesn't say where he's from, so I'm going to just... I guess he's from Belarus still. Um, let's see. So, you understand that leyline Line of Anticipation allows sorceries to have flash. So, he's asking now, does that also allow you to activate Planeswalker's abilities... As though they had flash, since you can activate sorcery spells at any time. So he's asking that question.
1: Uh, <clears throat> um not not exactly, no. Um you can play uh uh stuff as though it had flash, but it doesn't actually have flash. Um and you know uh ley line of anticipation doesn't actually uh change the time you can play sorceries um for anything else. Like anything that says uh you know play it at sorcery speed, that still means uh when you're the active player, uh stack is empty. So
0: and it's your main phase.
1: And it's your main phase, yeah, thank you. So um so yeah, you you ha you still have to do stuff like that or use all those uh ridiculous portal cards that say activate only on your turn uh, you know <laughs> before you like attack. That. Yeah. Um Actually, I think those are instants. But everything else, all your um, discard effects and whatnot, you still have to uh, uh, play at sorcery speed.
0: Right, right. And and yeah, exactly. The loyalty abilities, um, yeah, you can't play them. You can only play them. The actual rule uh, is 306.5D. Um, and loyalty abilities follow special rules and actually outlines the explanation of what is called in the the reminder text that shorthand of whenever you could play a sorcery is actually you know exactly as you described Jose with the main phase and all that um so that's important to recognize that the reminder text on the card isn't necessarily the best description of exactly what it means um
1: yeah, that's true, but you know they they do as good a job as they can describing them i mean really there's there's a lot of uh rules that you know, carry a lot of baggage, but the reminder text makes them easy and grokkable. But, um, if, if you got, if you Johnnies are brewing some sort of crazy interaction, um, don't rely on the, uh, reminder text. I'd, I'd go look it up in the, uh,
0: comprehensive rules. Okay. Um, this is not so much a question for our next one here, but a request. Uh, this one comes from CJ Schrader. Siege steak. Siege Steak. Yes. Your buddy from the Magic Online Judge Open, I think you guys played.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, We we posted mm. that picture on the uh, Judge Open.
0: Yes. So, CJ would like to know, um, well, actually, he'd like to request a free hug. Yes.
1: I finally got a response. I mean... (laughs) Well there's been overwhelming response I just I can't give to everybody, but uh okay you know, well, I, I, I I can make a special uh, uh allowance for uh c. j schrader a well there's a, there's
0: there's a caveat here, jose uh-oh. um to save on postage, it can be delivered in person at Grand Prix Atlanta in January. Make it happen.
1: <laughs> I don't. I actually, I don't know if I can make GP Atlanta. I'm. I, I've been looking at GP Denver, see if I can uh, make it out to that one. But January is actually pretty pretty full up. Um. So, but I can I can definitely coordinate with him and see uh, if if we can uh, uh get uh another uh a GP where he's there and I'm there. I'll give him a hug and then we'll play commander. So I don't feel so dirty afterwards.
0: Okay. Well, there you go. Um, good times. So, we have one last thing in our mailbag to talk about. and This comes from the uh, Level 2 judge of Houston, Texas, by the name of David Hibbs. He, um, Let's see, I think I met him at Pro San Diego earlier this year. Um, he and his wife, I think my wife got to hang out with his wife for a little bit. Um, do non-magic things while the rest of us geeked out. Um, let's see, he has a question, or he has a, a, a note here. I think in our last episode we talked a little bit about people not signing result slips. Um, so, basically, ways to get around this or ways to deal with, you know, somebody not wanting to sign result slips, he actually had a player come to him and say, I don't want to sign my result slip because if I sign it, I don't know where this paper is going and my signature might be used as part of some identity theft issue, um, which sounds pretty far-fetched. I mean, I'll let you... You know, what do you think about that, Jose?
1: I totally agree with him. I'm very paranoid.
0: Well, okay, we all know you're paranoid. But would you not sign Result Slip just out of fear of your signature getting lifted somehow?
1: Absolutely. But I have an alternative for him. Okay, what's that? He can just write his name.
0: Ah, so writing his name. That's exactly actually similar to what... Uh, David says here, just if you initial it or, or have some other way to just have the TO verify that, yes, you did indeed fill this out, that this is, really is the thing. Um, it's important, though, for you to actually put your name on that somehow, because if there's a problem later on, um, say the match is in dispute somehow, somebody you know wants the match to be changed, the result to be changed, uh, because that was misrecorded somehow or misreported and now their ratings suffering and they can't get their buys at a GP. This is what David's saying. Um, you know, the DCI can go back, review that result, ask the TO for the slip. TO can go dig it up and maybe change it. Um, so that's you know, that's a sort of a obscure way. I wouldn't anticipate that happens very frequently if ever. Um, but again that's please sign your slips with you know, just whatever your mark is, we're not going to steal your identity. Um, So that's the last bit of mail we had. Any thoughts on that?
1: Um, other than more people should write in because we're a uh, pair of smart guys and we can answer your rules questions. Listeners, write us. We will help you. And if you need a hug, I am here.
0: Okay. Well... I might need a hug. This has been a long episode. We're at an hour and a half now.
1: Yeah, plus uh, the technical difficulties.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we spent about an hour ahead of time here trying to get the uh, recording all set up so we can actually record with a little better quality than last time. Hopefully it worked. Hopefully it worked. We made it! Right. So, um, oh, was there something else we were going to put in here?
1: No, nothing at all, except for
4: Mm -hmm.
1: a moment of zen. For our listeners.
0: Oh, yes. Okay. So, I'll cue that up and throw it in here. I give you the poetic styling of Mr. Glenn White.
2: So, it's writing a poem in 17 syllables is really diffic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For all of us here, thank you. For the time you've taken to listen to us today, hopefully you've learned something. Hopefully you have more questions. When you do, please send them to judgecast at gmail.com. Also, look for us on Facebook. Just search judgecast. And when you do, um, you may actually become our 300th fan. We're getting up there um, close to that number. So hopefully we'll find you. With that, this is Sean Katanese. I keep it fair.
1: And Jose Bovida, I keep it fun. Macaque.